The sermon text this morning is from Psalm 67, verses 1 through 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Good morning, Christ Covenant. Uh, before I get into my sermon, I just want to say a thank you. Thank you for welcoming our family. We are uh, greatly appreciative of meals we've been given, uh, emails, cards uh, that we've received from so many of you, uh, kind words of encouragement. Um, and so we really are sincerely grateful to, to God for transporting us from one body of believers in Kansas City to another body of believers in Raleigh. Um, we have experienced Christian love here. Uh, the love of the Holy Spirit is evident in this church, and uh, we praise God for that uh, Christian family from going from one place to another. Um, it's enjoyable for me particularly to have uh, a larger staff uh, around, and so uh, throughout the week, the full-time staff, uh, Mary and Tom and Daniel and Philip and myself, uh, are usually uh, milling about the office. Um, on Thursday morning, I overheard Philip Taylor on the phone with someone, and I was walking to the copier, and I heard the person, he was on speaker, he doesn't do that I, for private conversations, by the way, so I knew it wasn't, uh, I knew that it's okay if I heard, but he said, uh, the person on, on the other uh, end of the line was um, a woman, probably a middle-aged woman, she said, well, bless your heart. Now, being away from the South for 13 years, I haven't heard that statement, I haven't heard such language. So I stopped and mouthed to Philip, and I said, this is the South. She just insulted you. <laughs> and being from Georgia, he's well aware of what happens, and he said, I know. It's the second time she said that. <laughs> uh, since there are a lot of transplants uh, from the Northeast or the Midwest or California, uh, that are living here in the Raleigh-Durham area, a lot more from when I lived here, and a lot of uh, transplants in this church. Let me fill you in on what's going on here. Um, bless your heart might on the surface sound like a term of endearment or a sincere sign of affection, which, uh, and maybe, let's not be too cynical, maybe it is sometimes. Uh, but if you're born here, it can mean something like this. I pity you. You helpless, naive, inferior little human being. Bless your heart. The word blessing is used a lot. You sneeze and we say what? Bless you. And if you're really spiritual, you say what? God bless you, right? 
um, without really considering the etymology of the word. Uh, maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, too blessed to be stressed. There are financial blessings, family blessings. I sometimes sign my email with blessings, comma, Mark. I honestly don't know what I'm saying when I do that. I just want good things to happen to you. Um, in the broadest form, blessing in Scripture means God's favor and protection upon you. Uh, in other contexts, it, in Scripture, it can mean uh, uh, happy, it can be gifted, it can be spiritual realities. May, may spiritual realities be, uh, be revealed to you more clearly? Um, or, in this psalm, Psalm 67, and in other portions of Scripture, it can be used to trace God's faithfulness through His promises, particularly through the Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12. God's blessing here in Psalm 67 is beholding His glory in the face of Christ. Beholding His glory in the face of Christ. I did a little bit of biblical theology because we are now in the, in the, the last days in the New Covenant era. And so we have not just liberty, but I think we have uh, a mandate to understand that through the lens of Jesus Christ, this psalm, particularly for us here means that when we are blessed, we are beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. This psalm is teaching us that God blesses his people to be a blessing to all nations, similar to what Keith prayed earlier. And God is blessing his people to accomplish his purposes throughout the earth. My sermon has three points. First, we'll look at verse 1. We are blessed in Christ. Secondly, we'll look at verses 2 to 4. We bless the nations for Christ. And lastly, verses 5 to 7, the nations will be blessed in Christ. Point one. And for those of you who are wondering if this new preacher who's used to preaching 45, 50 minutes is going to be able to do it, I don't know. But it won't be that long. But my first point is a little bit longer, so don't think that that's equivalent to the second and the third points. First, we are blessed in Christ. We are blessed in Christ. Look at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. The psalmist is praying and he's singing. That's what the psalms are. They're, it's poetry. It's songs. God, extend your favor, your protection, your grace, your mercy upon us. And then this plea for him to bless us has this, this global extension. That your way may be known on the earth. This psalm in many ways serves as a primer to the psalm that's following it, Psalm 68, which is where God's Messiah King, uh, he scatters his enemies away from his people. And the Messiah King in Psalm 68 comes to the sanctuary, the temple, and he dwells with his people, his people from all kingdoms of the earth. So in many ways, Psalm 67 is a more general view of what's going on in Psalm 68. This global all-nations blessing, as I mentioned earlier, is, is found in Genesis 12. Uh, if you are one who highlights or underlines in your Bible, let me encourage you that Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 is one of those places that you should do that. Uh, Genesis 12 says this. The Lord is speaking to Abraham. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
and I will make you a great nation. So there's, there's one nation, right? And I will bless you, there's that word blessing, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So brothers and sisters, in many ways, you can read Psalm 67 as a a commentary, a, a singing, joyful commentary on Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And as the Bible unfolds, we see that the blessing continues through, uh, from Abraham to his son Isaac, uh, to Isaac's son Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, and, uh, his name is synonymous with Israel. Um, God's means by blessing the nations was through Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And he had, as I said, 12 sons. One of those sons, his name was Judah. Now, just track with me here. Judah was born to Leah. And when Judah was born, Leah said this about him. This time I will praise the Lord. So each time... Leah has a son. She gives some kind of blessing. Each, each of the, the 12 sons of Jacob, they have some kind of blessing that goes along with them. Leah simply says, I will praise the Lord. And then at the end of Jacob's life, he goes and he blesses his 12 sons, and all of them are uh, in varying ways encouraging. Some are a little more obscure, but, but the, when he goes to Judah, it's very clear that Judah stands out. And this is what he says in Genesis 49 when he blesses Judah when Jacob slash Israel is on his deathbed. He says this. Notice the kingly language. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute or worship comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Not just the obedience of his nation Israel, but the obedience of the peoples, the families of Israel the earth. So fast forward, stay with me now, to a shepherd boy named David, the great-grandson of Boaz and, and Ruth. And then 2 Samuel 7, a promise is given to him that through David there will be a forever king who will establish a forever kingdom. It's not David's son Solomon because uh, he lives, he sins, and he dies, and he doesn't resurrect. There's no forever kingdom with Solomon. And then we keep going and we get to the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. And in the very last verses of the Old Testament, prophet Malachi says this, Behold, God says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes, of the Lord comes. And then there's silence for 400 years. Until Malachi's prophecy is fulfilled when John the Baptist comes and he prepares the way for the Messiah, King Jesus, the promised seed of Abraham, the one who is the blessing to all the families of the earth and to all 
nations. Now, one element of these prophecies of tracing this blessing that continues to pop up regarding who is going to be the promised seed of Abraham is suffering. So it's not merely might and warrior and worship. There's suffering that is seemingly contrasted with this view of this mighty king warrior. So Genesis 3 speaks of this first, that there can be pain associated with how this promised seed of Eve will conquer Satan. Isaiah, in Isaiah 52 and 53, in a more explicit fashion, says that the promised one will be crushed for our sins. The promised one will be despised, he'll be rejected, and he will be crushed for our iniquities. But also, sprinkled throughout the suffering, is the idea that the Messiah will not die, at least die forever. So, we're part of this story, and this is why I'm doing this. Fast forward. Jesus is here. He lives. He dies. He rises. He ascends. Churches are established. And Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, Christ became a curse for us on the cross so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He writes to the church in Ephesus, Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Church, Jesus comes. He's a Christ. He's a Savior. He's a suffering servant, and he is the forever king. He lived the sinless life. He died the sacrificial death. He conquered in the resurrection. And he ascended to reign in heaven at the right hand of the Father. You see, seeing, beholding Jesus as the promised seed of Eve, the blessing of Abraham, the line of Judah, the forever king from David's throne, and the suffering servant in Isaiah, seeing him as these things, this is what it means to have God's face shine upon you if you rightly and accurately behold who Jesus is. If you see him as true, as good, and as glorious, God's gospel light has shone on you. In fact, I'm assuming not many of us are Jewish in here, which means that we're all Gentiles. And if you believe in Christ, if you see him as good and true and glorious, that means that God's promise in Genesis 12 has come true through you. See, our God... Those he saves, he gives his spirit, and the spirit shines through them. We behold Jesus. God blesses his people and shines his glory through us. And I don't know about you. When I hear statements like that, I'm sometimes thinking, are you really sure, Lord, that you want to shine your glory through me? Uh, my sin is not glorious. My life oh, does not look glorious. I feel like I darken his glory, whether through discontentment, through me being judgmental, through lust, through pride, through being rude. 
It doesn't sound very glorious, very gospel light giving. I'm sure the same is true for you as well. But church, the, gospel, the, the, the Bible speaks to us being in Christ in ways where it knows that we are still going to wrestle with sin. But it also declares something fundamentally different about us. That we are regenerated. That we are born again. That we do have the light of the gospel in us, even in our darkest moments. So it's not that we quench the light completely. It's not like the, the candle burning is completely doused with water and it just doesn't burn anymore. Uh, but we certainly can dim can't we? Gospel light shining through us. We certainly can make Jesus look less glorious when we sin. But our God and Father has blessed us in Christ Jesus. This is fundamentally true about every Christian, that we have every spiritual blessing with him in the heavenly places. What is Christ is ours. According to the purpose of his will, he's adopted us as sons through Christ Jesus. He redeemed us through the blood of Christ, we are regenerated, justified, sanctified, and glorified in Christ Jesus. This is how God has blessed us, dear Christian. I don't know about you, but on January 1st, this is what I want to think about. The good news of the gospel's work in my life. Praise be to Jesus. I don't know about you this morning, but maybe you just need to get outside of yourself a bit. Maybe you've been a little insular thinking. Maybe your world has really just shrunk. Consider what God has done for you in Christ Jesus and all the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And don't forget that you were in a dominion of darkness. Have you forgotten your former life that you were once a, a child of wrath? Remember that you once were alienated from the promises of God. As we sang about earlier, I once was, I once was lost in darkest night. I thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life led me to the grave. Brothers and sisters, Christ's covenant, this is our story. Lost, rebels, hardened, living in darkness. But now we have found the path of life. Not because we're smart or intelligent or whimsical. Our hearts were dead. And God saw it fit to give us life by the light of the gospel. They've been changed by, his piercing, by the piercing of God's two-edged swords, which takes a heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh, of feeling that can sense and behold and live and find the path of life and enjoy it. God's light has shined on us and it's not meant to stay with us. If you have a little light in a dark place, you don't hide it under a bushel, whatever that is. You don't put a lamp in a dark room and put it under a bed. You put it on a lampstand. So here's the next point. We bless the nations for Christ. Those who have been blessed in Christ, bless the nations for Christ. The blessing in Christ is not meant to stay with you. It's not meant to stay with this church or in this country. 
The gospel is good news that's so good it's meant to be proclaimed, to be heralded. Here is the logic of the psalm. God, be gracious to us, bless us, so that your way may be known on the earth. Shine upon us that through us you would shine onto others. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he's going to Genesis 1 there, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the apostle views this as God shining light into him. And now, because he has the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he takes that light and he gives it off to others. Here's the tension. Here's the tension. God's ways are unknown because we are born into sin. None of us come out of our mothers and say, you know, we know what it is like to live a righteous and godly life. We are born and by nature we cannot see and behold Jesus as we ought to. There is one way for us to no longer walk in spiritual darkness and that is through Christ Jesus. And there is one way by which we know about Christ. If someone tells us and we repent of our sins and turn to Christ by faith. That is the way by which people receive this blessing. God's means to accomplish his ends comes through people who formerly walked in darkness and now they behold him in his light and now they proclaim his light. Knowledge of his ways comes through people being blessed and now blessing others. You see, the nations, people who don't know Christ, they need to hear that there's a fair and just judge that will not let wicked go unpunished. They need to hear that there's a guide for this life. They don't have to clamor around in darkness, clinging to some false religion or clinging to to money, whatever it may be. People need to know that there's saving power. You see that in verse 2? That your way may be known, your saving power among all nations. That word power, that word salvation is most commonly connected to Jesus' resurrection. You see, God's power to save is most clearly seen in resurrecting crucified Jesus. Death looms over all. So much of our lives revolve around escaping death. Our diet, our doctors, our driving, locking our doors at night, how we raise our kids in order to protect them, and so forth. But here's the reality that we need to stare at occasionally, church, is no matter our efforts, there is nothing we can do to escape death. You can live into your 90s like Pope Benedict, who died a couple days ago or maybe yesterday, or Barbara Walters, who died yesterday. See, we all have the problem of death. And the message of the gospel is good because it contains the knowledge of forgiveness of sins and the saving power of the resurrection for those who are in Christ. Christ. 
And church, this is basic Christianity, but this is what we need to go back to every single day, every single week. We have done nothing to earn God's favor. He has done everything. We received Jesus because he opened our eyes to his glory. A couple applications in the second point. One, a local application. Leave room in your schedules on a weekly basis to invite neighbors over to your house or coworkers over to your house. Invite other Christian friends into those circles. I encourage you to read Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, what she does is not for everyone. I don't know who can open up their house kind of like she does. But read it and take a couple steps in a direction of being more hospitable for the sake of the gospel. Uh, kids, let me encourage you to befriend other kids through school, through in the neighborhood, through sports teams, uh, particularly kids that don't know the gospel, that don't grow up in homes where uh, they hear the gospel. I've given my testimony here once before, at least in a smaller setting. Uh, that's exactly how I came to, to know faith, uh, to, know, to, know, to know Christ. I was on the football team, lived in a neighborhood with someone else who played on the football team named Scott. Uh, Scott, for a year and a half, his family started uh, taking me to church. I'd hang out at their house a lot. Uh, we talked about the gospel. I rejected certain things. There were clear discussions. It wasn't warm, fuzzy Christianity. I so appreciated the clear lines of saying that you must know Christ in order to be saved. And I rejected that, but I loved them. And over time, about a year and a half later, God just convinced me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ was that Savior. And that happened when I was 16 years old. So kids, invite your friends. You had a unique season of life where you have more flexibility than you think you do. Invite others to church, and then keep inviting them. Have a list of people you're praying for. Keep that in your Bible. Pray for them. Uh, be, be like the, the woman who goes up to the unrighteous judge and just goes and goes relentlessly, keeps asking the judge to listen to her plea. And give thanks to God for his saving power in your life. When we understand what God has done for us in Christ, it kind of just organically, naturally makes us think outside of ourselves and want to share Christ with others. Globally, uh, consider the word all in this psalm. In verses 2, 5, and 7, there's all nations. Just like in Genesis 12, 3, all the families of the earth. This good news is going global. Uh, one uh, missionary from the 1800s from Scotland, Alexander Duff, who went to India, he says that uh, in commenting on this psalm, God wants to bless us for inward prosperity and universal extension. I love that language. Inward prosperity, universal extension. And this is so basic to our faith. So you think about the end of, of, of Matthew's gospel. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The end of Mark's gospel closes with a challenge to say, what are you going to do with the news that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, consider Luke's gospel. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to his disciples, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer 
and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And then in John's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples after he rises from the dead, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Disciples of Jesus think and pray and consider and strategize how to reach the nations for Christ's glory. We see this in the book of Acts. This little kingdom which started out as a mustard seed. It grew from a handful of confused disciples who loved Jesus but didn't quite understand what he, who he was to a few dozen disciples and to thousands. And now there are millions upon millions who are blessed because they, the light of the gospel has shone in their hearts. And they with clear eyes see Jesus as the crucified king and the resurrected king. The humble king and the powerful king. And friends, there should be some particular call for us as a church to consider those who have no gospel light at all. One famous missionary, John Patton, also Scottish descent, he went to the New Hebrides, uh, a series of islands sort of near Australia. He had a very uh, flourishing, robust ministry uh, in Edinburgh on a street called Green Street. And the uh, Lord was doing amazing things through his ministry. People were converting. Um, he was getting harassed. He was getting uh, mocked constantly. But the Lord was doing a mighty work. But he kept saying to himself, and he kept hearing the voice of God saying, not audibly, uh, but saying, you know, what about those who have no gospel light or no gospel access? And so he says this in his autobiography. This all caused me so much anxiety and drove me close to God in prayer. But again, every doubt would vanish when I clearly saw that all at home had free access to the Bible and the means of grace, with gospel light shining all around them, while the poor, heathen, or unconverted were perishing, without even the chance of knowing all God's love and mercy to men. He also says, the wail and the claims of the heathen were constantly sounding in my ears. I saw them perishing for lack of the knowledge of the true God and his son, Jesus. While my Green Street people, while my Christ covenant people had the open Bible and all the means of grace within easy reach, which if they rejected, they did so willfully and at their own peril. That'll make you Think outside yourself, won't it? So what are we going to do about this, church? This allness, all nations, those who have little or no access to the gospel. I think first we need to pray. We need to pray that the Lord would give us compassion, that we would see that those who have no gospel access are like sheep without a shepherd. We need to pray, as Keith did, that the Lord would raise up laborers for the harvest field. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, it's not wrong to pray, Lord, save uh, uh, the the Kurdish people in Turkey. That's That's a great prayer. But Jesus actually teaches us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for the harvest field. 
This church has 350 people now. I don't think it's too crazy to say we should expect that as we pray that the Lord would raise up laborers from the harvest field among this church. Friends, God's glory is particularly displayed through Christians and more particularly displayed through local churches. So we want to partner with those who are uh, finding local churches or building into local churches. I don't know exactly what this looked like, but on a very practical level, we're going to try to jump into some things we can even do this year in 2023, and we're going to continue to develop relationships that we already have. Uh, This is not meant to be just one arm of the church, like you do worship ministry, you do child care ministry, you do youth, etc. Missions is just everyone at some capacity should be involved in missions. If you're you're interested in being part of the missions team, uh, please come talk to me. I'd love to uh, tell you what we're going to do as soon as I figure that out myself. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. It's a big task and can seem daunting, especially if we don't have the end in sight, which leads us to our last point. All nations will be blessed in Christ. Verses 5 to 7. God is going to do this. His plan will in- unfold. His purposes will ripen fast. The promises of Genesis 12. All the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. So verses 5 to 7. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the earth, the earth has, has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Notice the grammatical shift there in verse 6. It's subtle, but it's important. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. This prophetic poetry, the blessing will reach all nations. Not everyone on earth, but people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is what God says about his plan in Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, he says that this has been my plan of redemption all along. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel or Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Israel was not a great light to the nations. So a true and better Israel came, that is Jesus Christ. And now we as his church founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ, our foundation. Now we are the true Israel of God because we are in Christ. And now God is redeeming a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation through his church as they abide and are founded upon Christ. So Christ's covenant, let's be a church that is used by God for his global purposes. It's going to happen. It's what we were made for. It's what will happen. Friends, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Bask in the light of his glory and let's shine together so that through our message of reconciliation, sinners would be reconciled to Christ for the praise of the glory of God. Alexander Duff says this about churches. When a church ceases to be evangelistic, don't think how the word's being used today. When a church ceases to be about the gospel, it must cease to be evangelical. And when it ceases to be evangelical, it must cease to exist as a true church of God. God will accomplish his purposes, and he will do it through churches that are founded upon Jesus Christ. Abide in Christ. Revere his word 
and continue to go to his word for guidance and for trust. In conclusion, let me read to you Revelation 21 so that we can see our certain future. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray.